Welcome to the Economics Explored podcast, a frank and fearless exploration of important economic issues. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. I'm a professional economist and former Australian Treasury official. The aim of this show is to help you better understand the big economic issues affecting all our lives. We do this by considering the theory, evidence, and by hearing a wide range of views. I'm delighted that you can join me for this episode. Please check out the show notes for relevant information. Now on to the show. Hello. Welcome to this bonus episode on the Housing Australia Future Fund, the HAFF or HAF. It's Saturday the 25th of March here in Australia and throughout the week the Australian Government has been having trouble getting the HAF passed by the Senate. That's probably unsurprising because the policy looks like a bad one. With some justification the Australian Greens have commented, In its current form, the Housing Australia Future Fund legislation will see the housing crisis get worse. We can't fix the housing crisis by gambling money on the stock market and not guaranteeing a single cent will be spent on housing. That paragraph's from the Greens' dissenting report on the Housing Australia Future Fund bill. In that dissenting report, the Greens relied significantly on testimony to the inquiry from my guest this episode, my fellow Brisbane-based economist, Dr. Cameron Murray. Cameron is a postdoctoral researcher at the Henry Halloran Trust at the University of Sydney. I recorded this conversation with Cam Friday last week on the 17th of March, 2023. I'll link in the show notes to Cameron's submission to the inquiry into the half. Cam's submission is a great example of the application of economic logic to an important economic policy issue. Cam sees through the accounting trickery and the financial ingenuity behind the fund. He shows how the Australian government is being too clever by half. It's trying to get credit for doing something about the country's housing crisis, but what it's proposing could be next to useless. Righto, let's get into the episode. Please let me know what you think about what either Cam or I have to say by emailing me at contact at economicsexplored.com. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cam. Dr. Cameron Murray, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, Gene. Oh, it's a pleasure, Cameron. I uh, I read with much interest your latest uh, post on uh, fresh economic thinking, and it's about your submission to the Senate inquiry into the Housing Australia Future Fund Bill 2023 and other bills. Could you tell us a bit about uh, what that involves. So you've written a submission to this inquiry and you've also presented to the inquiry. You gave testimony, did you? Yeah, that's right. So this bill has passed the House, the lower house, and now the Senate is reviewing it. Um, And what they've done is held this inquiry, uh, asked for public submissions and had people who made submissions come in for a day of expert testimony so that the senators can ask specific people, you know, technical questions. What do you think about this? What about this design element? And so I was part of that on, on Wednesday this week. And yeah, so the the bill itself is called the Housing Australia Future Fund Bill. And the basic idea is the government has decided to address Australia's current housing problems. Uh, We've seen rents rise, we've seen rise in homelessness, we've seen longer queues in public housing waiting lists. They've decided the best thing for them to do is take $10 billion from the Treasury and give it to the Future Fund, which is a sort of publicly managed investment fund. 
and cross their fingers and hope that that fund makes a return that's higher than their opportunity cost, you know, the cost of the government's debt, and use that margin on the risk to fund something in the future, some unspecified granting in relation to what in the text of the bill is called supporting housing need. Uh, so that's what it was all about. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I gave some testimony on Wednesday. Mm. So the federal government's claiming that this is going to help them build, I think, 30,000 social housing dwellings over the next five years or so. Um, so that's their, that, that's the plan. But I, I think what I like <laughs> about your submission is it essentially talks about how this is a rather roundabout way of going mm. about it, which doesn't actually guarantee you're going to deliver any, yeah. <laughs> any new housing. Uh, this is the <laughs> mad thing. And this is, so let, let me start by saying, to be clear, what they're doing to build houses is taking $10 billion and buying all sorts of assets in the future fund that are not houses, mm. right? So that's what they're trying to do. And it's really funny because there's an, actually an episode of Utopia, you know, the, the yeah. comedy show about the bureaucracy in Australia where Rob Sitch's character, who's the, the sane one amongst the insanity, is explaining to a political staffer who says to him, what about an infrastructure future fund? Yeah. Don't you get it? It's about the future. He says, but spending the money on infrastructure today solves the future. We don't need a fund. Mm. We don't need a new office. We don't need these fund managers. And, and you know, when we watch Utopia, we all laugh and think we're the same guy in the room. But what happened at the Senate inquiry is that it, I was the only guy and everybody else who laughed at Utopia when they watched it was the crazy guy who right. thinks that spending money on not houses is the best way to spend money on houses. And so there was this really perverse political slogan that that kept creeping in, which was, this is going to secure funding for the future and insulate it from future political decisions. And I just sat there going, I don't, I've read this bill because yeah. I wrote my submission. Yeah, yeah. This funding is riskier because you're investing in a risky, you know, asset. Mm. Now, the, the current future fund lost $2.4 billion last year and yeah. spent half a billion dollars on fund managers to achieve that outcome. So it almost lost $3 billion last yeah, year, right? Yeah. So it's, it's possible that we put $10 billion in this fund and have $9 billion next year. And then that's the way we're securing the future funding. Yeah. And the legislation is also written such that the future minister has the discretion of how much from the fund to spend and on what projects. And it also introduces a cap of $500 million per year that a future minister can withdraw from the fund. So what you're actually doing is providing a great excuse for a future minister to spend less than $500 million and, and in fact zero if the fund's losing money. So there's this weird disconnect between the political slogan of securing long-term funding, insulating it from politics, and the reality, which is adding risk to a fund compared to just having $10 billion in the bank or at the treasury where it is, and not insulating at all and just still relying on future minister's discretion with no commitments. So that 30,000 dwellings you said is not in the, there's no, it's not written in the right. rules. Yeah. It's written in the guideline as a hypothetical of how much, you know, if all went according to planned, we would expect this. And I'm like, but there's like, like many housing strategies and plans that the federal government and state governments have had in the past, there is nothing holding them to account on those promises. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really, really strange one. And I felt like there are about 
20 or 30 witnesses or experts at the hearing, mm. no, only two or three of us actually calling this out. The majority of the industry and the researchers had really, I don't know, bought the line that this is something that it's not. Yeah. So what's going on, it appears to me, is they're essentially, they're borrowing, they're going to be borrowing this money mm-hmm. or, uh, or it's going to increase the borrowing requirement yeah. by $10 billion because we're currently, or we have been running budget deficits. Correct. So it's going to increase that that borrowing requirement. We're going to put that into this uh, the future fund. So we're essentially borrowing money to then invest in the share market or in Correct. bonds. Yeah. Well, yeah. if we invest in bonds, we're borrowing money to buy the bond back off ourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, if this fund, <laughs> if this fund is like eight or seven or eight percent government Australian government treasury yeah. bonds, that's just pure accounting. Yeah, yeah. You know, trickery. You know, and that that shows it. But the whole thing is accounting trickery, right? Because. You know, you're just recycling the money via the current shareholders of BHP and Telstra and Commonwealth Bank, right? By buying the mm. shares off them and then later selling it back to them. And and the only reason you can make a premium with this fund over the over not borrowing it, right? Because you still got to pay interest on the the treasury borrowing. The only reason you can make a premium is if you take risk. Yeah. Right? And if you're taking risk, then it's not a secure long-term funding thing. You're just adding risk unnecessarily. And delaying spending money on building houses. And, uh, you know, it took a little bit of explaining um, to get that through uh, at the hearing. But uh, ultimately, I had, for example, John Quiggan, you know, back me up on that argument. And I think Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute, who is a big supporter of the policy, sort of had to concede that, yeah, at the end of the day, you're adding risk in the hope of I- increasing the funding. Um, but risk is is real, right? We just can't count on winning Uh you know, in the next few years. Right. So Brennan was buying the government's line that this is about uh, getting this secure funding source. So he, I mean, I know you can't speak for Brennan. I'm just wondering Uh, where he was coming from. Well, actually, the idea is actually from one of a Grattan Institute report and they proposed Uh, a $20 billion social housing fund. And, uh, and and, you know, (laughs) I'm not averse to the government sort of diversifying the capital side, right? It's balance sheet. Yeah. And and owning some high risk assets. I don't I'm not averse to that on in principle, right? But you've got to separate the funding and the spending idea. So uh, the way I try to tell people, um, you know, if a government's saying we don't have the money for it, it means we don't want to do it. <laughs> mm. Right? Because look at the submarines, look at every other Big, look at the Olympics, right? No one's has got an Olympic future fund. No one's got a submarine future fund. We spend on what we want to. And if someone's saying, where's the budget or where's the funding, you're sort of missing the idea. But, but even more fundamentally, you know, if you go and raise money in the share market from new investors for your business, each investor doesn't say, oh, I'll give you this money, but you can only spend this money on, um, you know, cleaning your office. And, and the other shareholder says, no, 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 but I only want you to earmark my money for doing this, right? What we do is we pool all that money together and spend it the best way we can on the operations we need to do. Mm. And it's the same for the government. You need to separate. Well, we're going to raise money the best way we know how whether that's different types of taxes or borrowing, and we're going to spend money the best way, way we know how. And tying two things together is bad operationally. It's just like it's bad for my business to promise one shareholder that their money goes to one type of spending and another shareholder that I'll only spend yours on new trucks. You know, mm. it, it doesn't really make sense. And, and it's very hard to break through this kind of weird 
I don't know, budget illusion that we've all got that, you know, we must do this for this. We must raise money in this way for this spending. Okay, we'll take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. If you need to crunch the numbers, then get in touch with Adept Economics. We offer you frank and fearless economic analysis and advice. We can help you with funding submissions, cost-benefit analysis studies, and economic modelling of all sorts. Our head office is in Brisbane, Australia, but we work all over the world. You can get in touch via our website, www.adepteconomics.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Now back to the show. I like how you wrote about this off-balance sheet trick or the off-balance sheet tricks. The basic idea of the HAF, so that's the Housing Australia Future Fund, is to create an off-balance sheet accounting trick whereby the debt associated with the fund and the assets in the fund are considered as a bundle and hence not counted in measures of public debt. So, I mean, I haven't seen exactly how they'll, what the accounting treatment of this will be in the budget. It seems to me what they're doing is they're setting this up as a it's an SPV or some sort of public financial corporation so they can get it outside of the traditional yep. um, balance sheet measures they put in the budget, which is for, they have it for general government, but then they also have public non-financial corporations, but they don't have public financial corporations. So I'm wondering if that's what they're going to categorise it as. Uh, I think, yeah, that's part of the intention. And we, we actually see those types of budget tricks a lot. I think New South mm. Wales Rail, you know, they tried to shift things off balance sheet. But at the end of the day, you know, we as economists should be looking through that, right? And, oh, yeah, and, yeah. And saying, look, you know, debt's debt, but, you know, these are all the assets. We can bundle them all together. You know, it doesn't matter where you've accounted for them. Um, and the way we're going to assess whether that debt was, you know, justified or, or, or efficient or productive is, is what, you know, what the you know, investments made in general are. So whether it was on budget or off, you know, it should be the same, right? Mm. You're borrowing money to buy these assets. Right? <laughs> it doesn't matter how you account for it. And that's, the, that's what sort of leads me to my other point is that houses are assets, mm. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Australia's property market is the hottest market every property every investor wants to own some yeah so why doesn't the future fund build new houses to expand this pool of property assets in the process that equity can be on its balance sheet but instead of you know bumping up the price of the bhp shares that you're going to buy you actually expand the housing stock in the process and you can still have your off balance sheet tricks i actually looked Historically, and since the future fund started in 2006, so that's the current, you know, investment fund Australia has, um, they've made 7.8% average return annually. Mm. The average Australian dwelling increased in value by 7.7% per year since 2006. So just the capital value increase of owning a representative sample of Australian property would have got you the same returns as the future fund. So it's not clear to me you know, why we're recycling this money via other assets before we build housing assets. Uh, we can look at the balance sheets of state public mm. housing managers. Yeah. And when they value their land and their property portfolios, every year they've got to bump it up. You know, five billion, sorry, here, 10 billion here, because all this portfolio of properties they own, you know, it's a valuable asset um, that rises in value. So, so I've proposed um, quietly to a lot of people involved that if you want to have your financial trick in your future fund, 
get the board of the future fund to only spend the money building new dwellings and then put the equity that you have yeah. into the fund. Yeah. So you can keep your financial trick, but at least you're you know, keeping the housing construction going and you're immediately accumulating a pool of houses that you can allocate to the people who need it at a cheap price. Yeah. And so has this been driven by the state of the Commonwealth budget? They, they want to make sure that they think they're going to get some earnings from this uh, Housing Australia Future Fund that can then offset the spending that they'll have to make on public housing. Yeah. So they, they want to get that. They're hoping they can get that because if they just go ahead and start building public housing, then they don't have that revenue to, to offset that. Is that what they're thinking? I, I, I think you're right. I think that's what the thinking is. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, having those houses supplied to people mm. at a cheap price offsets other spending on those people already, right? Mm. Um, so yeah. the benefit is there either in the form of the rental <laughs> um, or in the form of the income from the other assets. Um, so if I was to put on my cynical political economist hat, <laughs> I would say the reason this program has gained so much traction and is probably going to be the law in yeah. a few months is because it doesn't change the housing market. It's going to pass because it doesn't achieve anything. And that's what is truly desired by, you know, the political parties involved is that they want to look like they're doing something without actually doing it. I've had conversations with politicians who've told me, what's wrong with the housing market? You know, prices went up because we dropped the interest rate. That's good. Rents went up because incomes went up. Mm. That's good. There's no market failure here. Governments shouldn't do anything. So if that's what they say to me, how is it then that they pass this bill that's meant to do something? The only coherent story there is that this bill is to look like you're doing something but not doing something because you genuinely think the property market is doing what it's doing well. Yeah. That's my super cynical political economy hat. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you, you may well be right. I mean, it's the Sir Humphrey Appleby uh, type of approach where people actually don't care about whether a problem solved. They just want it to look as if something's being done. <laughs> look, I, I've had a lot of people message me since my testimony to tell me yeah. their, their experiences of this. And I don't know what I'm going to call this pattern. Uh, you know, does it have a name? I, I've tried to call it something like pre-compromising, where you take a good idea, you turn mm. it into a bad idea, but it's still got the same words in the bill. Well, so it looks like you're still doing something yeah. and then you push that. And you've totally compromise the content or the effectiveness just so you can keep the name because the name is what people will talk about. And if it looks like you're doing something, oh, it's a, what's it called? Housing Australia Future Fund. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like something important is being mm -hmm. done, right? Yeah. And the more that gets in press headlines, the more we give credibility to the current government who is trying to, of course, tread this line of keeping prices up for people who own property and pretending they want to keep prices down and rents down for people who don't own property. And uh, that's a real interesting political tightrope that happens a lot in this country. Yeah, I really liked your submission, Cameron, because I thought it, uh, I mean, it, it highlights how governments are increasingly doing the, these sort of things and they don't really make a lot of sense when you think about it. Because <laughs> I remember when I was in Treasury, we had to set up these, uh, the Building Australia Fund, Education Investment Fund, that, that's, I forget the name of the other one. And 
it didn't really make a lot of sense because you're just taking money and we ended up, I think we ended up having to borrow money to put into them because, <laughs> because of the timing of it. The, yeah. the original idea was that there was a they, surplus there was surpluses. and they didn't know what to do. That's yeah, right. and they were going to stick them in these funds. But then by the time we had to transfer the money, it was the financial crisis. So, <laughs> uh, so the timing wasn't very good. And then they, we see, they constrain your ability to to get cash. I mean, because you're saying, okay, we're going to lock up all of this money in these funds, yeah. even though we don't need it at the moment. Uh, so yeah, it can it can constrain your budget flexibility. So I don't like them for that reason. And the the other point that you're making is yeah you're if you end up having to borrow to invest in it well you're you're borrowing money just to invest it in the the share market and it's not necessarily achieving the public policy objective yeah. that you that you want to achieve so yeah that's exactly the way to put it you're going to borrow 10 million to build houses for people mm. and give it to them below market. Why do you need to recycle that money through the share market? Why don't mm. you put it through the pokies? There's also a chance of making more money there. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. high risk. Um, why don't you just take your half million, that, half billion that you want to spend each year and spend it for the next 20 years and just start a construction program? Like wh- the really bizarre thing to me, I read this bill and in you know, part 7H or whatever it is, it says the Treasury will credit the Housing Future Fund with $10 billion. Mm. It just says it. And I just think to myself, how do, where is this $10 billion coming from? Aren't we having this fund to get the money that we don't have? And now you're saying we have $10 billion? If we have $10 billion, we don't need the fund, right? Yeah, like there's yeah, this yeah. weird... Um, and, and, you know, no one else seems to pick up on that. Oh, we just credit it with $10 billion. I'm like, why don't you just build houses, yeah. credit them, credit the builders with $10 billion. Yes. <laughs> so this is where they're hoping that by doing, you know, essentially gambling or, yeah. well, investing with yeah. borrowed money, they can get enough of a return on that to then help fund this additional expenditure and that's going to lessen the budgetary impact. So that's essentially yeah, what's going it's on. Totally right, yeah. And I, I just think it's interesting because it's an, it's an example of one of these uh, these things, these clever financial vehicles, the, the pollies and the, the advisors, I think, in particular, they love it. They think they're geniuses, but <laughs> it's, it's yeah. not really solving the problem. So, yeah, and let me just talk you through what I think is, you know, the best case scenario, they put money in this fund sometime in the middle of this year after we've had a big asset market correction and they, they, they're near the bottom. In the next 12 months, there's a real big boom. And, you know, in 12 months' time, the minister's saying, oh, look, we've been making all this money. I'm going to spend yeah. this half billion. Yeah. That's the best case. The worst case is, you know, we've just seen you know, a bank collapse in the United States and, you, you know, Swiss government bail out the Credit Suisse Bank. The worst case scenario is they put $10 billion into the future fund, start accumulating assets in the next six months, and then come September, October, you know, popular time for financial market crashes, the fund loses, you know, 10% of its value. And next year, the minister says, oh, we can't spend anything on public housing because we just lost a billion dollars on the share market. Ah, yeah. You know, that's, I don't know which one's more probable, but both are potential outcomes and if the second one happens, you know, I hope the public and the press hold the government to account and say, hey, this is what you wanted. You were told this is the risk you're taking and you still did it anyway. Now, I really hope that opens people's eyes if that happens. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. So you're saying that the, the level of investment in public housing could end up being dependent upon 
the uh, the returns on this fund. Highly know? likely. I, right. I think it. I think yeah. it implicitly tells the minister only spend what you make. You know, if the fund's doing well, spend money. If it's not, don't spend money. Uh, the the way it's sort of described, and it's got this cap in it as well. I, I would say there's a sort of you know a built-in excuse. Yeah. Uh, whereas you kind of want the opposite incentive. You want more public spending on housing during a downturn in the markets, right? You want to smooth out construction cycles. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I sort of feel this builds in the opposite political incentive. Um, but, the, you know, the next 12 months are going to be very interesting if this bill is finally passed uh, and, you know, the markets are very volatile at the moment. And the future fund, of course, lost... Um, a couple of percent last year, it went down, the existing fund. So if that happens again, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Just before we wrap up, Cameron, can I ask you, what was it like presenting to the uh, committee? I mean, did anyone get it? Did any bells ring or what, what's the expression? Uh, I mean, I imagine some of the, I imagine that there must have been, some of them must be sceptical or I hope some of the people on this committee were sceptical. But yeah, yeah you, could you tell question. me well, like, uh, what was your impression? Uh, my impression is that this process is a little bit of a charade, so that each political party and the crossbenchers can get their sort of own experts on to provide excuses for the th- the political bargain that they want out of this in the Senate. So there, I think most of the action is happening behind the scenes, uh, and this is just each. Each person in the Senate had a chance to call forth their own experts. Mm. Um, and so that was done. My impression is that uh, the committee is loaded based on the political party of the day, right? You know, I was cut off on my introduction when I was saying, you know, you get a few minutes to make introductory remarks. And I was explaining how I can't believe you're trying to describe this as a low-risk, secure, politically insulated funding stream when it's the exact opposite. And they're like, oh, you know, we only allow two minutes for these opening remarks. Get on with it. (laughs) And, of course, if you you go and check the footage, everyone bloody rambled for five minutes. Um, So you can sort of see that. And, and, you know, I've spoken to a variety of senators' offices as well, and they've obviously taken on board what I've said. But, you know, you don't see minds being changed you know, live during this process. That's not where it happens. It's all happening with phone calls and meetings and negotiations amongst each party and the independents. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah all behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, because I was just wondering, I imagine that the the Greens would probably be pushing the, for the government just to build public housing, right? I mean, yeah, that's, well, that's, that must be in there. That's right. Manifesto. So I think uh, it's Nick McKim's, the Green Senator from Tassie, and he was, you know, on board when I, I, I started my opening remarks by yeah. saying, you realise there's a scene in the comedy show Utopia, right, where yeah. I started today, uh, that is exactly what you're doing, but you all laughed with the other side <laughs> of yeah. the joke, and now you're, you are the joke. <laughs> um, and so he got a few chuckles, but, you know, the other, the other people didn't really like it. So, yeah, the Greens are definitely not keen on these off-balance sheet financial tricks at all, which is really puzzling, right? It's really puzzling to me. I don't know what the Liberals should be sort of of a similar mind, being a bit more honest financially and say, let's focus on, you know, what's a waste of money and what's not. Let's not focus on where you record it in the accounts. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know what their views are, but my impression is the Labor Party, you know, 
they've almost got this superannuation brain or this future fund brain. Like it's, mm. it's a, this sort of, um, yeah, it's inhibited their ability to go, you know, this is not magic. It's not a magic pudding. It's just buying different assets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll put a link to your submission in the show notes. I think it's really good. And you make a good point about how, yeah, I didn't realize the the fees paid by the future fund for funds management were so high, but I guess it makes sense given the amount of funds under Yeah, so I think it's 0.2% of the funds under management, but that is still half a billion dollars a year, which is, of course, again, the maximum that this future fund for housing can actually spend on housing subsidies or housing construction. Yeah. So the maximum they can spend is roughly what the average management fee is for the existing future fund. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just to get your orders of magnitude straight of, of what's involved. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, so this has been passed by the lower house. It's going to, it's being considered by the Senate at the moment and it'll probably pass, I imagine, based on what you were saying. My, my understanding is the crossbench has a lot of power in the Senate here mm. to get things changed. My suspicion is that um, if there are key crossbenchers that take my argument seriously and a, you know, a couple of other of the submitters as well, they may, um, for example, uh, put in the legislation a minimum amount of spending oh, okay. out yeah. of the fund instead of a maximum to sort of guarantee it. And they may, you know, and, and that might just be a way of diverting instead of buying BHP shares in Commonwealth Bank, you know, build houses with it and own the equity in, of those houses with your public housing developer or however you account for that. Um, so that, that that may be a realistic change. I don't think it's going to get thrown out or go back to the drawing board. Righto. Okay. Well, uh, again, well done, Cameron. Uh, yeah, excellent submission. Lots of very sound economics and public finance in there. Any final words before we wrap up? No, I just want to, you know, cross my fingers that, that the best case scenario turns out if this fund gets passed. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Cameron Murray, thanks so much for appearing on the show again. Thanks for having me again, Gene. Righto. Thanks for listening to this episode of Economics Explored. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email via contact at economicsexplored.com or a voicemail via SpeakPipe. You can find the link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you could tell anyone you think would be interested about it. Word of mouth is one of the main ways that people learn about the show. Finally, if your podcasting app lets you, then please write a review and leave a rating. Thanks for listening. I hope you can join me again next week. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.